This is an NC Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast, the podcast designed to engage with ministry leaders around topics that will explore approaches and resources to help us be on mission together. It's because of your generosity that this resource is available. Learn more at ncbaptist.org slash give or contact us at communications at ncbaptist.org. Welcome to the NC Baptist Podcast. I am Todd Unzicker, Executive Director of NC Baptist, and I got a question for you. Y'all, if you want to see the Great Commission fulfilled, then do you have a heart for your community? Have you ever stopped to consider how you can leverage your relationships with the people in your community or for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom? Well, I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, you've at least thought about that once. Well, here's the great thing. Today, you can join me in listening to this recording of a breakout session that happened at this past year's annual meeting of NC Baptist held in Greensboro. Barry Murray, who's one of our own Great Commission catalysts here with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, he actually spoke with a couple of pastors, Todd Brady of the River Community Church in Fayetteville and Aaron Smith of Kenansville Baptist Church on how to engage your community with the gospel. Listen, these pastors share some incredible stories of how their churches are living this out every day. And get this, and I don't want to you know, spoil the surprise of the podcast, but listen, to how one of the churches partnered on mission together with a local ice cream shop right across the street at Fayetteville State University. These guys share some incredible methods, some tools, along with some resources that can help you meet the needs of hurting people while effectively sharing the love and message of Jesus Christ. So let's get started with this week's episode. everybody. I'm Barry. want to welcome you. I'm one of the regional catalysts in Regions 3 and 4, which is Greater Raleigh South and a whole lot of other stuff too. So, um, so if I happen to be your catalyst, I would love to meet you on the way out. And um, if you don't know who yours is and you want to talk about that, I would love to connect you in any way that I can, kind of help you with that. But today we're going to talk about uh, what I think is just a huge issue in the local church today, and that's just engaging our community with the gospel. Um, the, the idea that the gospel is involved in that, that we do share that gospel um, in, a real, in a real specific way. And so um, I'm, I'm just, we're just thankful that you're here, thankful that your heart is that as well. Um, as I meet with pastors all over the state, I, I think that's one of the big issues is, is that we've kind of just lost um, our understanding of the context that we live in and our ability to kind of speak the gospel and proclaim it into our communities. I'll give you just a, just a little bit of my background and then uh, Pastor Todd has pastored a church that he planted 17 years ago in the Fayetteville area um, and man, they are doing community engagement and evangelism in a real way. Pastor Aaron, uh, Pastor's First ba- or Kenansville Baptist Church in Kenansville, which is a small town. It's a revitalization. 
and they're doing a great job engaging and uh, impacting their community with the gospel as well. And so I'm going to really just kind of talk for a minute, get out of the way, and let those guys kind of share some practical stuff, and then we'll have a Q&A time at the end. Uh, I came to Christ in 1997 and ended up moving to Maine not too long after that, three or four years after that, to plant a church there in Maine with my family. We lived there in the state of Maine for 18 years. Uh, I worked for the North American Mission Board for six of those years, helping plant churches through the state, moved back to North Carolina, planted a church right outside of Fort Bragg, and then landed with a convention this past year. And so my heart is church is, is really in you know communities hearing about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and lives being changed. And so I know that's why you're here too, and so that's why I'm excited this morning. And so I, I think as we think about that, I think there's a couple of things we need to think about. I think we need to think about our churches and like where are we as a church, like our identity, and then where in an honest assessment. And then as leaders, some of you here are pastors, and then, and then others, and, and I want us to think, as pastors, I want to think about ourselves as pace setters. Like, you, know, you guys know what a pace setter is. You know, it's a pace car, right? The pace car gets out and helps, uh, helps the, uh, um, the other cars go at the right pace and then kind of gets out of the way. Think about ourselves as a pace setter. You know, the, the, ra- the runner that r- runs out in front for a season and kind of gets everybody else up to speed and then allows them to continue on. And so I, I think that from a missional standpoint, an evangelistic standpoint, to think of ourselves as pace setters. Some of you here are leaders and you're not, you're not pastors, but you still can be pace setters in the church. And, and so that's what I want us to kind of think about. So, so think about the church, think about the pace setters, and then we're going to think about our community a little bit. Now, here's the thing. I've been a pastor for a long time. And if I'm honest, there's times when I'm not willing to look and see what's honestly going on. And, and I've been in situations where, where the church was growing and people were coming, but if we're honest, we weren't going and making disciples. They were kind of showing up, right? And I think that's one of the big problems we've got in the church today is that we were there for a while in our, in our context. People were showing up to church. We weren't necessarily going and making disciples. And so and we just thought everything was okay. And then all of a sudden, this is one of the things I learned in Maine fairly quickly. Nobody woke up in Waterboro, Maine on a Sunday morning and thought, hey, I think I'll go to church today. Not unless the Lord was just actively working. And, you know, that, that wasn't what they were thinking. They were thinking a lot of things, but it wasn't that. And so we figured that out. So we said, we realized we got to go get them. We got to go to them. We got to meet them. We got to, we got to be we, we, we had to meet them wherever we could, in the restaurants, right? Wherever people were. And, and here, here's the thing that, that I, I really feel like we have to recognize that. I don't think in our communities today, I, I, after 20 years, I moved back to, to North Carolina. I don't think people in my community are waking up thinking, hey, I think I need to go to church today. I just don't. I think there's, there's really, like we need to be returning to the call that we have to be people who go and make disciples. And so then, so we assess ourselves. So, so do that for your church. Assess, you know, honestly, with the grace that you know God gives. God's kind. He's gracious. He will work. He will return. He hasn't left your church. But then to go to the, the pastor piece. Who are you? Right? Your, Ephesians 1. You're sons and daughters of God. You're chosen. Right? 
by Him. You're predestined. You're like, like you're, you're heirs of everything that is Christ's. You're, you're His sons and daughters. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. That's who you are as a Christian. Not just as a paysetter or a pastor, but as a Christian. That's who you are. And so, so out of who we are, then we need to make an honest assessment about how we're doing with leading and being change agents in the church. Right? How, are our, how is our spiritual health as we lead out? And, and I feel like for my own self, there's been seasons in life where I am like filled with the Spirit of God. I'm walking in the Spirit of God. I'm a healthy follower of Christ. And I'm going and making disciples and doing that in a, and, and bringing other people along with me and, and locating where God is at work and going and trying to get there and be there. And, and in those seasons, the people around me kind of walk with me in that, right? There, there's health that comes out of that. And then if I'm honest, there's seasons where even though the church might be growing a little bit, everything looks pretty good on the outside, I'm not as healthy. And I'm not proclaiming the gospel out there. I still proclaim the gospel on Sunday morning, but I'm, I'm a little bit spiritually introverted uh, at seasons. Anybody been there? Like if we're honest? And I think if we're going to honestly assess our churches, we need to honestly assess ourselves as pace setters. Because if the pace setter is out of shape and isn't out there leading the way, then we're in trouble. And if I'm, if I'm really honest, I think we have an epidemic where, where our where we as pastors have gotten tired and gotten weary and, and left our first love that has led to a whole lot of us not being good pace setters to, to lead the way. And I'm not saying that to you. I'm, I'm saying that for us as the church of Jesus Christ. And I think there needs to be a return to people who, who li- just really live as a pace setter. A couple of specific things I'm going to give you and then I'm going to let these guys... Speak in. Um, if you need help knowing your community, you may have lived there a long time, but you can live in a place a long time and that place can change and you not even really realize that it's changing. Some of the places you serve have changed a lot in, in past years. And so good demographic reports, you can get those from your regional catalyst. You'll be amazed at what you can learn um, in a two-mile radius of your church, a five-mile radius of your church, and we'd be more than happy. We can get those to you in your hands in, in literally days, week at the max. Um, and this engagement exercise, somebody gave this to me as a coach, and it was amazing. I want, and this is what I want some of you to do if you're really looking at, hey, I want to engage my community. I want to know my community. Meet with 25 people. Maybe that number is 20. Maybe it's 15. But meet with plenty of people that aren't in your church, that aren't in a church, that are in your community. And here's what I learned you can do. You can say, hey, I've got a project I'm working on. Would you help me? Maybe it's your neighbors. Meet people in different ways. Maybe it's people that are serving the community as leaders. But just say, can I interview you? And spend some time interviewing them. You can, have, you can give them a gift as a response. But, but just ask them questions about the community. How do you perceive the needs of the community? Um, non-Christian people see the world differently. We need to know how they see it. And we don't need to just go to Facebook to try to figure that out. We need to have real face-to-face conversations. Um, um, 
how do they perceive their own needs in the community? And how can your church help? Ask them that question. How can a church, you're going to learn things about your church. You're going to learn things about the community. You're going to learn things about your lost friends and neighbors. And if you have 25 conversations with people who don't know Jesus, some of those people are going to become your friends. Some of those people could come to know Jesus. You can pray for those people, have those conversations. And that seems like a wooden thing, but here's what I know. It's just not as easy in the world that we're in to have like tons of, of uh, relationships. But if you give them the opportunity to serve you in a way and, and bless them, and you, you'll, you'll, you'll be amazed at this. Some of you are going to be like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. I encourage you, take the step with this exercise. It'll make a difference. It was, it was on the front end of our church plant in, in the Fort Bragg area. It was a blessing. It was a blessing for us to kind of walk through that. Um, here's another one that might be, learn from three to five effective pastors in your area. Somebody's getting it done. Somebody's effective in evangelism. Go learn from them. Why is it that we think that we should keep everything to ourselves and don't learn from our brothers and walk through like, Hey, you know what? Sometimes I'm not at my best. I need other people to speak in. I need other people's help. I need wisdom. Hey, you know what? It might be a church plant in your area that's kind of blowing and going. And you know what? It may not be that just because they're the new cool church that they're growing. It may be that they're actually sharing the gospel and doing some good things. Go learn and grow. How are they connecting with younger people? Learn from each other. Come on, guys. I want Aaron to come and share some of his story with me. Yep. Uh, I just want to share quickly my context, where I've come from, and then the context of my church. Um, very talked about this a little bit, but um, we're, I'm not going to say anything that, that you probably haven't already heard. Um, and what's working for us at Kingsville may not necessarily work for your for your area, your community, because we live we come from different contexts. And so we need to work really hard to exegete our context, to understand our context, and understand the needs around us in our community. So um, I was, um, I grew up in a pastor's home, and so um, my dad was pastor of the church, and he still was pastoring that same church, he been pastoring it for over 20 years. And one thing that I watched him do as a kid, really all the way up through high school, was that he really, that church, the church I grew up in, really served the local high school well. Um, one specific thing that they did was that they ran the concession stand for years on Friday nights, uh, and the basketball games on all home football and home, home basketball games for years without taking any type of money or any type of anything, just showed up and served. Um, and I kind of watched that, and so it kind of was something that I, I knew when I became a pastor, um, that's something that I, I felt like we really need to be a part of our community in some way. Um, so that's kind of something I've observed my whole life. Kingsville Baptist is a 185-year-old church. Um, we are right in the middle of Kenansville. Kenansville is a small town, less than a thousand people, but it is also the county seat. So it's very busy during the daytime, but not very busy on the weekends or um, after five o'clock, really, because everybody works there, but no one really lives there. Um, very small, um, but because it's the county seat, it also means that we have an elementary school, a community college, and a high school, and a hospital all right there within, literally within of several miles of us. Um, we could throw a baseball and hit the elementary school. We hear the chopper when, the, when, when it comes to the hospital. Like we're that close. We're kind of really embedded into that aspect of our community. Um, but also when I got there, I got to my church there at Kenansville in 2020. Um, and it was very much was in decline, had been in decline for about 15 years. And 
And 2020, you know, is the pandemic. I got hired in the height of that. And so, like, I did my trial sermon online um, through Facebook Live. Um, and then, like, at the end of my trial sermon, the moderator for the church came up and was like, I now call this business meeting and session. You can vote between 2 and 6 through a drive through vote. And people did it. And that's how I was elected pastor. And then for, like, three months, um, for, like, three months, I didn't see my people. I, I preached to an empty room, to a camera. I would see people in the grocery store. I'm like, hey, I go to your church. So nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> and so that was kind of my story. But I knew when people started coming back and I started to get a feel for who was at my church um, and understanding just our demographic, we were a mostly elderly church. Uh, I would say our average age was probably over 60. Um, and I knew that if we were going, if this church was going to grow again and be a, 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 a thriving church in our community, we would need to get younger people. And I thought there's a school there's a school right across the street from us, and young families go to that school every single morning at 8 o'clock, every single day at 3 o'clock to drop their kids off and pick their kids up. And I thought we really need to partner with our schools. And so that's kind of where we have focused our community engagement in partnering with our local elementary school and high school. And so I think we've done that at this point. At two years in, I think we've done that. And I want to tell you, Three ways that I think help us do that. The first thing was this, is that we prayed, um, or I prayed. Um, and one thing specifically, I prayed that when I got there, that they would, God would send people to our church that could help us engage our community and just help our church grow, help our church change, help our church revitalize our church. And so I prayed in that way. I would also say this, that I prayed for our community in the sense that like me and my three-year-old son, when I would pick him up, we would drive to the neighborhoods of Kingsley and we'd just pray for the homes. Pray for the families that were there. Pray that they would hear the gospel. Pray they would um, find a church, not necessarily our church. Pray they would find a church. Um, and then I also, in my prayer to begin our Sunday morning service, I modeled praying for our community. So I prayed for Kingsville Elementary out loud. I prayed for our teachers and administrators. I prayed for the hospital. I prayed for James Keenan, which is the high school. I would pray out loud for these to start our service. I really kind of make my way out. I pray for our community, then our country. And then our world. Every single week I would kind of do that just as part of our pastoral prayer. Um, and what I've seen from that, within really within six, eight months of me being there, the local um, James King, the high school, the principal started attending our church and then joined um, our church. I got to baptize him and his wife. And then um, the football coach came and his family came. And I got to baptize their family. And so within a matter of time of me praying for opportunities to partner with the schools, here comes the football coach and the, and, the, and the high school principal to our church. So that's through praying. And then the next thing I would say is this, is that this showed up at things. Um, I don't have a kid that's in, at Kingsville Elementary or at James Keenan High School, but I became the biggest James Keenan Tiger fan that I could possibly be. I went to all the football games. I went to softball, volleyball games. I was just present at these things. Um, and when I got the opportunity to talk with people, I talked with them. And then when I got the opportunity to talk to teachers and to the principals and the people there, I would say, hey, listen, Kingsville Baptist is just down the street, and we're here for you. Whatever you need, you got it. If we can do it, we'll do it for you. I would literally say, you've got a blank check from us. If we can do it, we're going to do it for you. And then, and that brings me to the next thing is this, is you got to come through with that. So when they ask you for something, you then got to be able to come through. Um, so the first thing that was for us was uh, I got a call from the assistant principal, James Keenan. It was at the end of the year. It was in, the, it was in spring. And they said, hey, listen, we got a Zam week this week. We would really like to feed our teachers breakfast um, one, at least one morning for Zam week. And I said, how many days of Zam week? They told us three. I said, we'll do all three. 
um, and let us know. And you just order the biscuits, and we'll go buy them, pick, pick them up, and buy them for you. And so we did that. And so and that was the first kind of them saying, hey, listen, we want your help with this. Can you do this? And we said, yes, we came through in that way. And I'll say this now, from that, now I pray every single week with the, with the staff at Kingsville Elementary School, and I pray every single week with the staff at James Keenan High School. I pray Mondays and Wednesdays every single week with them. Um, also, um, we have um, Bible study groups that are starting at the local high school that we have had nothing to do with. They just organically started. Um, and so I get to speak at the very first one they're going to do here in a couple weeks. They've asked me to be their guest speaker for their first Bible study they're going to fix and do. Um, we are, um, the, our church has given money to be athletic boosters for the local high school. So our sign is on the, on the football fields. It says, proud sponsor of James Bay Tires. Kings will buy the church Sundays at 10 o'clock. Um, and so like, we are very much embedded there. We're in talks with the local elementary school about possibly hosting our Bible school there this year. Rather than hosting at our church, we're going to attempt to host it there. We've still got a lot of things to work out with that. But we're in talks with them in doing that. And here's kind of our thinking behind that. If we did Bible school at our church, we would probably have 100 or so kids like we typically have. And all those kids would be mostly the children of our people that are there, grandchildren and their friends, and they would all look exactly the same. And they would all come from the same neighborhood. Um, but our thinking and our hope and our prayer is that if we do it at the elementary school in a context that's very familiar, then we're going to reach neighborhoods that we're not reaching now. And we're going to reach people that we're not reaching now. And so that's what our hope is. We're going to hopefully get, be able to get the gospel to far more people. And, so, and that's the way that we're engaging our community in the way that we're doing that. And so that's just, we've really kind of focused on schools, and that's how we've done it, is praying, showing up, and coming through. Um, and I'll say this, I'll leave you with this before I turn it over to Pastor Todd, is something was told to me very early in my ministry, um, is if you want, in specifically youth ministry, said if you want um, your kids to invest in you, you need to invest in them. And I think that applies to our community as well. If we want our community to show up at our churches, at our events, on Sunday morning, we want them to invest in our churches, then we need to invest in them. We need to show up for them. And so I'll, I'll leave you with just one more little story. We recently did a truck retreat that we do every single year. And this past truck retreat, we had over we had over 300 people at our truck retreat in a town that's that's less than a thousand. So we had a third of our a third of our town was at our truck retreat. And the people that were at our truck retreat were people that would never well typically that we would not see come through our doors. They're not from the neighborhoods that we reach. They don't look like us. They were very different. And it, I think, I think, I hope, I pray that it's because of the partnerships that we made within our community and engage in our community that way. So I'll leave you with that. If you want your community to invest in you, you need to invest in them. Good job, brother. Let me, let me say one thing about how much I admire what Aaron's doing at Kingsville. I had a godly pastor tell me when I was a young man, and I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but he told me this. He said, if you love people in your community, you will be the pastor of people that will never walk through the doors of your church. And that's what you're doing. You are the pastor to people that don't have a pastor, that don't understand the church. They may not even know Jesus, but you are... Being a shepherd out in the field, not in the corral. And that's where I believe our churches need to get. 
it's time for us to get out of the boardrooms and get back, back out on the sidewalks. And um, you will not reach the world by having a great website. That's right. That's right. Do that late at night when no, when when nobody is out or whatever. But you need to be in the toe to toe and face to face with people. So, I'm, I admire that. So one third of his town in a town of a thousand people came. Of course, it was because you're out there, brother. Don't think that. That's fruit. That is. Um, I think it's going to be harvested pretty soon. God bless you, man. Thank you for that. It's amazing. So. Well, I just learned that I'm getting old. I'll be 60 in two years. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate that. The elderly around 60. Young people. I planted a church when I was 40 years old, 17 years ago. Previous to that, for 16 years, I pastored traditional churches. The oldest one was about 150-something years old. Sunday morning, Sunday night, discipleship training, Sunday night, Wednesday night, choir practice, Bible study. I was on an ex officio committee member of like 89 different committees. <laughs> I was out 27 nights a week or, or a month. My children were like, do you live at the church, Daddy? Uh, that type of thing. And uh, God delivered me from that when he led me into church planting. And I planted a church 17 years ago. I was the first one there, and I'm not leaving. And in that time, I love it when people say, oh, we're so glad God brought you to us. And I said, I was here first. So anyway, <laughs> and uh, I have to remind them of that every once in a while. And uh, we met in six different rented locations for the first 10 years. We sat up, set up and broke down nursery equipment, sound equipment, video equipment, everything out of trailers that we backed up to the front door every single Sunday for 10 years. We met on the Methodist Methodist College campus. We met in the local middle school. You know the deal. You've been there, brother. We've, met, we've done all kinds of things and every, everything in between. And we, we're constantly, we're trying to figure out how to engage your community without a building. For 10 years, we learned how to engage people and not be building-centric. So my, my, my best advice for you is don't think about doing ministry with your building first in mind. Know your community. Get a demographic report from the state convention. Man, those things are exhaustive. Uh, 90% of it you won't, lose, you won't even learn, but a few nuggets in there of statistics and traffic patterns and belief systems and the things that people like, the music they like, all kinds of things in those demographic reports will be vital to you. Get those about every five years. They're really critical. And the communities do change. So know your community with a demographics report. Understand patterns in your community. Um, Get to know leaders in your community, whether it's from the real estate sector or the uh, volunteer fire department or whatever, because every single one of your communities are different. I've been in the one horse towns and I've been in city churches and I've had multiple staffs and I was the multiple staff. You know what I mean? When you're the single staff guy of the whole church. And um, we've even got bivocational pastors that represent, I'm sure in this room, praise God for them. Amen. I think they're the unsung heroes of our convention, but we need to know our community 
I really learned a lot of that when my wife became a real estate agent. I started to understand how our community and where they were going and what they were doing and what was being built and how the roads were changing and everything that was going on when she started understanding all of that kind of stuff. And so I started exegeting our community and finding out how all of that stuff was going to impact who we were as a church and how we could reach people. And then I had to understand our context. And the best way I can explain, by the way, these are all going to begin with the letter C because I just can't get away from it. So first of all, know your community. Secondly, understand your context. And your context is different. Like if you were going to do an outreach at a trailer park and do backyard Bible clubs with hot dogs for the kids and maybe hygiene kits or something of that nature, you would probably not do the same type of ministry at the golf course where the surgeons and the lawyers and and those people live with their children that go to private school. In that context, you might want, if you live there and you were trying to reach lost neighbors, there's lost people everywhere. There's lost people in the golf course. There's lost people in the the mobile home park, whatever. You might want to do dinner for six people. Do dinner parties and share the gospel. Do something that relates to their interests. Here's what I've discovered about the more affluent communities. They love to help people. Let's engage them in feeding folks for Thanksgiving outside of their own little context. And before long... They'll be asking you, why are we doing this? And you have a, a bridge to share the gospel. I had a friend of mine that did that in Toronto, Canada, when he was a missionary up there. And the vice president of Campbell Soup, y'all know who Campbell Soup is, right? They let them use their kitchen, which was awesome, by the way. They had the best kitchen. I'm, I'm addicted to stainless steel and cooking stuff, by the way. It's my, it's my weakness. And, uh, but they cooked all the turkeys and all the stuff, and they fed hundreds and hundreds of people. And before long, all these affluent folks and all these executives and all the folks that got involved in this because they, they knew different people in their context, they all started coming to know Christ because they were serving and helping in a way that they felt like would make a difference in their community. So know your community. Uh, understand your context. Uh, go to planning meetings, go to board meetings downtown, talk to people who are involved in those circles that pastors may not know or, or operate in. And I've learned so much. I just met with a, a developer last week and, and an engineer and uh, an owner of a brand new neighborhood that they're building right beside us on our property line, 88 new homes right on our property line, uh, three quarters to an acre each lot, and each house is going to start in the mid-300s. And I was like, y'all come on, and can we put a driveway from their houses to our offering plate? I would love to see that. But we want re- to, they're, they're folks that don't know Christ. They're going to be in that neighborhood. We need to be ready for that. And God's bringing folks right to our doorstep. So here's some advice. I learned this uh, years ago. Someone taught me, look for connections in your church. That's the third C. So as God brought teachers into your church, as you brought nurses into your church, as you brought contractors into your church, find those connections. And you need to realize that God is speaking to your church by the people he's adding to your church. And he's telling you there's something in your church that they need, but there's something in their life that you need. Several years ago, right when we moved out onto our property, God brought this couple from across the street, Tom and Vicki Poston. And um, 
they were nominally churched. They ended up coming to our church. They ended up coming to know Christ. I had the privilege of baptizing them. Tom is now a blue hat with disaster relief. He's been all over the country leading teams. He was on the video a while ago uh, in Kentucky. They've led teams down to Florida with Hurricane Ian. Um, they've asked him to work for him, but he's still working a little bit, building a few houses. And uh, he has served countless hours in training and working with disaster relief. And he lived right across the street. God had picked him out way before we did. I don't have enough wisdom to try to figure that guy out. But he came and he was right there in our community. And then the opportunity, he said, I said, Tom, you're a contractor. You ever thought about doing disaster relief? He literally said, what's that? Didn't understand. Had never heard of a yellow shirt. Didn't understand the yellow hat. Didn't get it. But we'd look for those connections. And we have nurses. We have medical teams. that are. We have an optometrist in our church who just was doing eye exams taking care of kids and people who needed glasses. Well, now she's leading our ministry in the Dominican Republic, going down there annually, if not more, twice annually, doing eye exams, and we're carrying suitcases of glasses down there to help people see who've never had, never had a pair of glasses. Guess what? She decided after the second mission trip down there, we're going to do that here in Fayetteville. Now they're doing eye clinics in our city, helping underserved people, get glasses or contacts for the very first time. Because what's funny is these companies will give them all that stuff. So look for who's in your community to make connects. Look who's in your church to make connects in your, your community. And if there's someone there and you've got a vision about something, pray that God will bring you that person. But we've got an optometrist. We've got nurses. We've got teachers galore. And all these different connections have occurred because we just look at the connections and, and as we've exegeted our community, we've done the next step, creative cooperation. Try to figure out creatively how to use that person's passion and their giftedness as a bridge to the gospel. I wouldn't have a clue how to do an eye exam. <clears throat> All I know is I've been wearing contacts and glasses since I was in college. My eyes went downhill when all that reading and stuff. But Brittany, who, who is an expert in it, she knew that. All she needed was someone to show her she could use her passion to lead people to Christ. All I knew was, yeah, it's better, it's worse, better, worse, better, worse. That's about all I knew. Now she shares the gospel and we are able to reach people across the street and around the world in our community because we've made a creative cooperation with people that are already in our congregation. You've got them too. Find out who they are. Find out what their passion is and creatively just take those next steps. Sometimes you have to create opportunities that may not be there. For instance, Barry and a friend of mine, Jorge Fonseca, and I were out eating lunch one day. We were talking about a, mission, a vision trip to Peru because we planted uh, multiple churches down in Peru and, uh, uh, and put in wells down there in Jorge leads that ministry on behalf of our church. He's one of our elders. And we were eating seafood, and I said, man, there's a place down here I heard about I want to take y'all to. It's called Fina's. And the, la the lady's name was La, la Fina, and um, she's Middle Eastern, and she'd started this ice cream shop and this stuff called Fruit Lotto. 
It's frozen fruit that tastes like heaven. It is so good. It's really tasty. Well, guess what happened by the time we ended that conversation with her? I asked her, because she's literally right across the street from Fayetteville State University. I said, Fina, because we were just, just had an instant rapport, because she will let you taste every flavor. I mean, she's putting everything in front of you, and we taste I didn't even want anything by the time I had all those days. But I said, Fina, would you consider letting someone have a Bible study in here, in your, in your facility, even during hours or maybe after hours? Or maybe a worship service one day if that Bible study grew larger. She was like, absolutely. And I'm not even sure if Fina's a Christian, but she loves her community. And she said to me, she said, well, as a matter of fact, in in three weekends from now, we're going to do a backpack giveaway. How many churches have done backpack giveaways for school supplies and stuff like that? Well, this lady's not even a Christian, but she was getting the sororities, the fraternities from the school and these businesses to put all the stuff in. I said, well, how many backpacks do y'all give away? She said, oh, about 2,000. <laughs> I've been to Baltimore multiple times to give away 2,000 backpacks, filled up truckloads and going up there to give them away in West Baltimore. And here this lady is doing it right in my backyard, and I felt about that big. And I said, well, we want to partner with you. I'm telling you, there are creative connections in your community that people already have a heart and community. I call those persons of peace. Find them. Ask them. Don't be afraid to say, what do you think about your community? What would make a big difference across the street and around the world? Something that we say at our church. So know your community. Understand your context. Make connections. Do creative outreach and cooperative outreach with these creative people, create opportunities. One of those opportunities, besides FINA, is that we've been planting churches for the last 17 years. We've planted over 30 churches, some stateside, a lot of them international, in India and in Peru. And we're in the, in the midst of planting one, 32, I think, is the number. I've lost count, with Jonathan Baggett on the north side of Fayetteville. Excuse me, the west side. But we're on the north side. I need a compass to figure it out. But he's in the pillar network, and uh, we're working with Jonathan. Man, he's a sharp planner. Him and his wife, Lindsay, a few years ago, he walked in the doors of our church because his mom had passed away. Someone invited them, his dad and his brothers. I had the privilege of baptizing them. He goes to college, changes his major, joins the Army Reserve, becomes a chaplain, Surrenders to the ministry, become a church planter. And God's using him in ways that I just sit back and say, God, only you could do this. That boy's been all over the world. He walked in the doors of middle school a few years ago. And to God be the glory, man, the best is yet to be seen. And let me tell you something. Just recently, he was working with apartment life. And the, uh, uh, the apartment complex was sold to another owner and they didn't want apartment life there. Apartment life just has a like a missionary in the apartment complex to do ministry. So he needed a place to live. And we meet this church planter, this new pastor in town. The pastor says, well, come on our staff. We'll pay you. Church planters need that, by the way. You come help us, and then we're going to send a team out to plant your church. And by the way, we have a 92-year-old retired medical missionary who owns a home over here who just went into retirement living and he's agreed to let you live in his house two years rent-free. You can't outgive God. 
But we would have never known that was going to happen unless him and Lindsay would have stepped out and said, God, we're going to do your will a little over a year ago, maybe two years ago, when they said, we're going to go into church planning. We're going to go into the NAM process. We're going to do all that. How do we know that blessing was out there? We didn't, but God did. Listen, there are things that God has for your community that we don't even know about yet. But you've got to step through those doors. He didn't know the principal was going to join. He didn't know two back, it was two football coaches, wasn't it, that joined? Two families that joined. What kind of influence do they have over those students? Now they're going to be hearing the gospel and, and having a Christian witness there. I think that's amazing. I'm so proud of him. You'll need to keep your eyes on Aaron. If I told him, I told him already if I lived in that community, I'd join his church. Those creative opportunities. I love Miss Fina. I love Jonathan and Lindsay. But let me tell you something what it all comes down to. It doesn't matter what, how you connect with your community through a trunk or treat or whether you do a crusade or whatever you do in your community. At some point, when you gather those fish, you've got to have a gospel conversation with them. And here's what I'm discovering. Very few people are responding to the altar call in a morning worship service unless they've had a gospel conversation with someone ahead of time. It's very rare that someone just out of the congregation says, I'm running to Jesus. That just, those days seem to be non-existent in, in my context. I haven't seen that for years. Just a few, but not as a trend. But what I have discovered is when I do premarital counseling, I've led many, many couples to Christ. They'll come after we have counseling, marriage counseling, parental counseling with, with, with children, just sitting down with a family and getting to know them, talking to them about their relationship with Christ. It always is going to come down to a personal conversation. I mean, think about the context that Jesus had when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. It was very different than when he talked to the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, it was very, very different context than he was when he was preaching to the multitudes. We can preach to the multitudes and we'll miss so many personal conversations. It's not an either or, it's a both and. We've got to resurrect our boldness and our passion for sharing the gospel with our communities one person at a time. That's how it's got to go. And so I guess the last thing that I do, and I've been doing for 17 years in our church, is we have a closing commitment in our congregation to kind of set the DNA of who we are as a church. We recite a closing commitment together in unison, out loud on our screens as a congregation, and it has basically created something that has kind of taken on a life itself. Our people have become what they've confessed. How about that? We say this every Sunday as we close. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Please see through my eyes, speak through my mouth, work through my hands, walk through my feet, and love through my heart. All that I have, all that I am, and all that I'll ever be, I give to you. Please use me to reach others for you across the street and around the world. In all I do, may I bring you glory. We say that every Sunday, and people, they've got it memorized. My mind just isn't working today. I don't know what it is. I don't sleep well in hotels. I had to read it. But we share that as a prayer with passion. 
And sometimes at the very end of it, people are shouting, in all I do, may I bring you glory. Man, you can't, you can't make that happen. The Holy Spirit has just done something in the DNA of our church, just something special. And that's what matters when you engage your community with the gospel. Thank you for joining us today. Because of your generosity to NC Baptist, this podcast, along with other helpful resources, are made available for you. Learn more by visiting ncbaptist.org slash give.